Jason. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 21 of Longball Football, a weekly podcast about all things football in Portugal. Now it's a slightly different episode this week. Usually I have my brother Barney alongside me to provide some analysis, a bit of conversation and often some quite bizarre anecdotes. But unfortunately he can't join me this week so it's just myself, Albert, riding solo for what will most likely be a shorter edition of Longball Football. But with the return of European football on the horizon we didn't want to miss out. That said, I'll be doing a quick preview of the upcoming Champions League and Europa League fixtures for Porto, Benfica and Braga. So if you're impatient to get to that, you can jump forward. As always, there are timestamps in the description of this episode to let you know what topics come up when. Before we get into that and this week's action from the Primera Liga, however, I cannot start this podcast anywhere else than the sad and quite frankly hilarious news that Keisuke Honda, the Japanese international that we were so excited about joining the league, has sadly had to rescind his contract with Porto Menens after only five days, yes, five days, after it became clear that he was, in fact, ineligible to register for this season's campaign. Now, this is due to a Liga Portugal rule that indicates any free agent who wishes to join a club in the January transfer window must have been without a club since October of the previous calendar year. Honda, of course, was still contracted to Botafogo in Brazil until December 2020, and therefore does not qualify for registration this season. A perfectly reasonable rule, even if I'm not sure what it's there for, and to be quite honest, you'd have thought Portland would have bothered to check that small detail before publicly announcing the player's signing, including sharing photos of him holding up his new jersey with name and number. Oh, and for those of you wondering, Barney will still be getting a Portman shirt, especially if there'll be a load discounted after this whole debacle. Well, on to the games of the week, and it's at the top of the table where we have the most excitement. Sporting's 2-0 win over Passos de Ferreira saw them extend their lead at the top of the table to 10 points with 19 games played, after both Porto and Benfica drew their fixtures against Boa Vista and Morarens respectively. Porto versus Boa Vista was certainly the most exciting game of the two. The Derby de Invicta, or the Porto Derby, was an easy one on paper. Surely Boa Vista, who've only managed two wins all season, wouldn't trouble a Porto side who, despite certain inconsistencies this season, have demonstrated quality far and above what Boa Vista have this season. But in true dramatic fashion, Boa Vista raced into a 2-0 lead. First, a wonderful flicked header from centre-back Jackson Porozzo after in eight minutes gave them the lead before Albert Ellis, the Haitian striker, doubled their lead just before half-time after the Porto defenders were quite frankly caught napping. The second half, however, was where it all kicked off. Mediterrami, the man in form for Porto, got a goal back 10 minutes into the second half. And you have to say, despite them still being behind, the momentum was with Porto and I really felt like they would go on to win the game. It wasn't completely straightforward though. They needed a penalty to get the equaliser and even missed a second penalty five minutes before to- before full-time, which would have put them 3-2 ahead. The usually ever-reliant Sergio Oliveira hitting the post from the penalty spot. The drama didn't end there though. Porto did have the ball in the back of the net for a third time and we were treated to quite honestly... One of my favourite moments of the season so far. Chico Consasal, the 18-year-old son of Porto manager Sergio, who had been subbed on to make his debut for Porto, thought he'd set up Evan Ilsen for the winner. And the scenes between himself and his father were, quite honestly, rather touching. Uh, It was a real display of honest emotion from Sergio, who was delighted and embraced his son for a long time on the touchline. It was almost cruel then when VAR ruled out the goal for what was deemed a handball from Evan Ilsen. And with 90 minutes played, there wasn't enough time for Porto to create another chance that would have got them all three points. 
The game ended 2-2 and it's a draw for Bovista which in the context of their season away from home at one of their local rivals is a great result and they just need to show some more of that passion and ability that they showed in this game in some of their games against more beatable opponents. For Porto, it's nothing less than two points dropped and another stumble in their bid to gain ground on Sporting. On to Benfica then, and no such drama in their game, just another dire result that we've sadly come to expect from them. In fairness though, it wasn't all bad. They started the game relatively well, they controlled the first half, albeit not creating too many chances, uh, and the finish from Seferovic for their first goal was a lovely finish, I thought. Nice, strong, low shot into the bottom corner from outside the box. Seferovic, I think, has been one of Benfica's most effective players this season. I know Benfica fans might not enjoy me saying that, but he's their top scorer. And despite not being the most glamorous player, he seems to be one of the few players capable of scoring in that team at the moment. As I alluded to, though, that level was not sustained and they gave a really cheap penalty away about five minutes before half-time, which was dutifully dispatched by Jan Mateus for his fourth goal of the season for Morarens. It was a really clumsy penalty though. Grimaldo, who I was full of praise for last week, committing a really clumsy and unnecessary foul in the box, and perhaps demonstrating a side to his game which explains why he's still playing in the Primera Liga whilst Alex Tellez is playing for Manchester United. And from then on, it was a similar story. Benfica struggling to create any real high-level chances Passanato pulled off one or two good saves from Morarens, but in the end, they held on well to see the game out, which ended at 1-1 at full time. And it is a good result from Morarens' perspective. Vasco Siabra, their manager, quietly doing some good work with that team after a disastrous spell at Boa Vista. Benfica, however, well, it's a point that keeps them in fourth place. Three points behind Porto and two points behind Braga. And if they're going to rescue anything of note out of this season, they're going to need to start turning around their performances pretty quickly. Of course, that all set up Monday night's game between Sporting and Passos very nicely, with Sporting able to go 10 points clear with a win. It wasn't going to be all straightforward, however. Passos have been one of the revelations of this season, having only lost three games before this match and with 10 wins under their belt. As we know, however, it was Sporting who took their opportunity and won the game 2-0, thanks to a first-half penalty from Joao Mario and a really wonderful volley in the second half from Palinha. Really one worth checking out on the highlights if you haven't done so already. A good performance from Sporting, as we've come to expect, but Passos weren't totally anonymous in the game. They did have their chances, some good ones too. Douglas Tank in particular, I think, will have been disappointed not to score a good chance he had in the second half. But the story of this game is definitely what it does for Sporting season. To be 10 points clear at this stage, whilst far from being the end of the story, is an incredible lead to have. And they are definitely standout favourites for the title this season. It's worth mentioning Paulino's performance in this game. Already, Despite making only three appearances for Sporting so far this season, there's talk about him not having got his first goal. Something that I feel is very premature. When you watch this game, he did have one or two good chances. A little backhill shot early on in the game was a glimpse of the kind of magic he can produce. But he's also a very selfless player. I think he provides for his teammates. He set up a great chance for Coates in the first half. And the work he does on the pitch often benefits his teammates who run in, who run in behind him or on the overlap. So plenty to be positive about with him. The goals will come and an awful lot to be positive about for sporting fans. Before we move on to previewing this week's European football, just a quick mention on two other games from this week. Rio Ave, who beat Vittoria Guimaraes 3-1 away from home on Saturday, will be delighted with that result. They've had a very up-and-down season, with more downs than ups, it's fair to say, but with new manager Miguel Cardozo at the helm, they'll be looking to make the most of some of that attacking talent that they have. Carlos Mane, Gelson Dalla, 
Riotari Machino, Francisco Geraldes, and it was Carlos Mane who got their opener. Also a goal from recent loan signing Rafael Camacho who joined them on loan from Sporting, and Gelson Dalla getting their third. It puts them up to ninth place now, firmly in mid-table, and whilst their European achievements of last season will be pretty unattainable, they'll be looking to push on from this and get as high up in the league as they can. Victoria Guimaraes, however, a very poor result for them. A consolation goal from Karejma was all they could manage in this game. Far from the performance they'll want if they want to put pressure on Passos, Braga and Benfica in those lower European places. Marcus Edwards again starting the game on the bench. That's the fifth game in a row now. Starting to get really worrying to see him kept out of the starting eleven, given his undoubtable talent and also given that he signed a new deal with them so recently. Alongside Issa Suleiman, of course, who, whilst not grabbing as many headlines as Marcus, has been a solid and ever-improving figure at centre-back for them, but not getting into the team at the moment. Worrying signs for Victoria fans and for any English football fans listening who, like us, will be rooting for those English boys at Victoria. And Porto Menens are the last team I want to talk about in this week's game roundup. They managed a quite staggering 4-1 win over fellow relegation battlers Gil Vicente. Now, Porto Menens haven't scored four goals in a match in about two years since they beat Nacional 5-1 in March 2019. And I picked them last week as one of my teams I've been impressed with so far this season. A surprising choice, I know, and one that surprised even myself. If you want to listen to myself and Barney discussing our mid-season Premier League review in full, you can do so by checking out last week's podcast where we discussed the best and worst teams, players and managers of the season so far. But back to Porto Menens and a 4-1 win for them over Gil Vicente is a fantastic result. And it was a very good performance, I have to say. Elton Boamorte and Beto both got on the score sheet two of their standout performers this season, alongside Maurizio Antonio and Joffre Salmani. It's a result that puts them up to 11th place in the table, and for a team who, let's not forget, were technically relegated last season, and only stayed up thanks to Vittoria Chetubal being forcibly demoted due to financial reasons, and lost their star player in Bruno Tabata to Sporting. It's been a great season for them recently, and my credit goes to their players and the manager Paolo Sergio. For Gil Vicente, not many positives to take from this game, except one glimmer of hope in young Brazilian forward Samuelino, who got their goal, a player I know Barney rates very highly. And for a full assessment of him from Barney, I once again refer you to last week's mid-season review. For a more comprehensive roundup of the relegation battle in the Premier League, I would refer you to one of our former guests, Jamie Farr, who did a fantastic piece for Portugal, uh, breaking down the relegation battle and all the teams involved in that. If you want to check that out, you can find Jamie on Twitter at FRFootballJamie or you can follow at Portugal1 on Twitter. course the big excitement of this week is the return of European football with Porto coming up against Juventus in the Champions League and Benfica playing Arsenal and Braga playing Roma in the Europa League. With Porto playing on Wednesday night you may well be listening to this after the game has happened but for me recording this on Tuesday the excitement building up to this game is very much there not least because the Portuguese messiah himself Cristiano Ronaldo will be returning to Portugal at the Estadio de Trocao. One of my favourite Twitter accounts, Marino Pochotto, at Marino V. Pechotto, 
shared a brilliant statistic this week about Pepe and Ronaldo, saying that Wednesday's meeting between the two players will be the first time they've played each other on the opposite side in 18 years. They've of course played together many times for Real Madrid and the Portugal national team. So it will be fascinating to see Ronaldo up against one of Portugal's best sides. And no less interesting to see how Porto cope with him and the other stars that Juventus have to offer. Of course, we've seen Porto do very well defensively against Manchester City in the group stages of this competition. So we know they can cope defensively. But over two legs, it's going to be a much tougher task. And I wonder if we'll see this two-legged tie go in a very similar way as their two games against Manchester City in the Champions League group. One, very hard-working and defensively solid draw at home. And one fixture away from home where they don't quite have enough to keep out that Juventus attack. Of course, it's definitely not a write-off this fixture. There is a chance for Porto to get a result. But over two legs, it could be a very tough ask for them. Well, on to the Europa League. We have two fixtures to discuss. The first being Benfica versus Arsenal. And this fixture has been in the news recently as it's been affected by the UK government's travel restrictions, which of course affects people travelling from Portugal, which means that both legs of this tie will have to be held in neutral venues abroad. Benfica's designated home leg will be on Thursday night at the Estadio Olimpico in Rome, and the return fixture a week later will be at Olympiacos' stadium in Athens. Bizarrely, despite both legs being held at neutral venues, and with no fans present at either stadium, away goals will still count in these fixtures, which is a bizarre decision that I'm sure will be a controversial one. Well, in terms of the tie itself, I do worry about Benfica, unfortunately. Although Arsenal have had their own problems this season, a 4-2 win over Leeds United in the Premier League at the weekend will have given their confidence a great boost, whereas Benfica, coming off the back of a tepid 1-1 draw against mid-table Morans, will be anything but confident ahead of this game. It feels like a bit of a cliche to say, but Benfica's centre-back pairing of Otamendi and Vertonghen, whilst both with recent Premier League experience, are not the youngest, and dealing with some of the rapid attackers Arsenal have, like Aubameyang, Saka, Smith-Rowe and Pepe, that could be a real issue. Offensively, again, I hate to sound like a downer, but I'm not sure which aspects of Benfica's attack will trouble Arsenal particularly. Perhaps if Everton and Rafa or Chervy have a good game on the wings, that could cause Arsenal's fullback some issues. But for me, this is going to be a tough task for Benfica, even more so perhaps than for Porto in theirs. On to Braga then, the last team representing Portugal in Europe this season will play Roma with the first leg, their home fixture, also on Thursday night. Now, this is an interesting one for me. Admittedly, I don't know an awful lot about Roma. Their position in third in the Serie A, ahead of Juventus, by the way, would suggest that this will be a tough game for the Portuguese side. But Braga have played some wonderful football this season. They've got a great manager in Carlos Cavalho, and I back them to perform well in both these games. I do worry, however, about them defensively. With that horrific injury to David Carmo last week, that leaves them even lighter at centre-back than they already were. And I do worry about how they will stand up to Roma's attackers. I feel like I've been very down on the Portuguese teams in this section. <laughs> but in all seriousness, they've all reached a good stage in the Champions and Europa League. And hopefully, this time in two weeks, we'll be discussing at least one of these teams' prospects in the next round of European competition. Well, obviously, Barney wasn't able to join me this week, but he has been able to submit the official long ball football predictions for European football. And after everything I've said, he's predicted Benfica to win 2 1. <laughs> Which, if they pull that off, fair play to them will be a wonderful result. Uh, and he's also predicted 2-2 between Porto and Juventus and 1-1 between Braga and Roma. Which, if those predictions come true, will mean there are some fantastic games ahead of us. 
Well, I know that was a very whistle-stop podcast this week, but that's about all I've got time for. I want to say thank you very much for listening to what has been a slightly different episode of Long Ball Football. Hopefully we'll be back in full next week with Barney alongside me, or perhaps a different guest. We'll see. If you're new here, you can subscribe to the podcast to get every episode delivered directly to you every Wednesday. And if you've enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. It really does mean a lot to us. But for now, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week.